To promote my new flower shop, I had one place print my business cards, another print my brochures, and a third, my signs. Now my roses aren't red, my violets aren't blue, my geraniums look dead, and I don't know what to do. Staples can help your business stand out with signs, banners, and brochures that are a true reflection of your company. And now with Staples, spend $50 or more on print and marketing services and get $5 off your next in-store purchase. Now my business is blossoming and I'm spending less green. Exclusions apply. In-store only. And 62318. This podcast contains explicit material that may not be suitable for all listeners. For those of you brave enough to stick around, enjoy the show. Welcome to the We Still Booze Podcast, brought to you by WhiteRightNattyLight.com, your one-stop Iowa State online blog shop. Throw me the bootleg and I'm gone. Then I take a few steps and I keep left and the people take a deep breath and I'm up in your end zone. 816 boys, we reppin' connected with Iowa State. Play out a position and it's checkmate if you hesitate. Welcome, Cyclone fans, to another edition of the Wide Right Natty Light Podcast. Uh, this is Austin with you again tonight. Before we get started here, uh, don't forget to subscribe on iTunes. Leave a review there or on the blog. Uh, tell us tell us what you'd like to see on, on some of these or hear on some of these these podcasts. At, at the time of this recording, uh, Iowa State is just coming off a close loss to number two in the country, uh, Kansas Jayhawks. At this point, uh, they sit 11 and six overall, three and three in the Big 12. Uh, they're ranked 23rd on Ken Palm and top 25 in some other metrics, um, but their their resume is lacking a little bit. So we thought we'd bring in uh, Shelby Mast here in just a little bit, a uh, resident bracketologist for, for USA Today and some other places. Uh, so, Shelby, how are we doing tonight? So far, so good. How about you? I'm doing I'm doing all right. I'd be better if uh it'd be better if we had a, a marquee win for our, our cyclones on the resume, but it, it just wasn't in the cards last night and uh we're hopeful that there's one down the road possibly. Well, still opportunity left, that's for sure. <clears throat> hey, I the the million dollar question I think, uh and this kinda is is similar to how people become maybe fantasy football writers and things like that, but I think uh a lot of our listeners like to know how does how does one become a bracketologist, if you will. Well, it's been a combination of things. I've been a huge college basketball fan since back in the early '80s, and the tournament always fascinated me—the buzzer beaters and everything like that. And then Joe Lenardi started his bracketology, and I got tired of waiting. He only posted twice a week on Mondays and Thursdays, and I got tired of that. I wanted to see how my team did after a Tuesday night game. And so I started uh, trying to see if I could do it. There wasn't as much information available on the Internet when I started. It has become more available. Uh, but my first year doing it, I, ha- I was more accurate than he was. And so that it's kind of gone from a hobby to a job, and I still love it. This is, this is my favorite time of year, and my wife and kids know that when basketball's on, keep your mouth shut. <laughs> So so where can we where can we find your your brackets at? I know I mentioned USA Today. Are there some other places? And I know you have a you have a site where it's always up to date as well. 
Yeah, I, I publish on my own site every day starting January 1st, so it's going right now. It's bracketwag.com. USA Today, it looks like it's going to start posting there on January 30th. Uh, any newspaper that is owned by them, Indy Star, Detroit Free Press, others like that, it will be posted starting uh, January 30th. And collegeinsider.com, that's more for the mid-majors, but they do a good job. You mentioned that you were uh, more accurate in, in your first year compared to Joe Lenardi as a, as a bracketologist. Just curious, how do you how do you measure how successful you were on your bracket? How do you weigh correct teams versus seeding, or do or do you factor seeding much into that accuracy at all? Yeah, there is actually a website called bracketmatrix.com that tracks everybody that does this and gives them a score at the end of the year. The scoring is based on how many teams of the 68 you got right, how many you got seeded right, and how many you got seeded with, with, uh, within one line. And the scoring system, and that, that's how I, I figured it out. Actually, Gary Parrish of CBS Sports is the one who first published the results. I, I, knew, I had no idea how I did compared to Lenardi. I thought we were both pretty close to each other. And then Gary Parrish posted that, and then this side has kind of taken off. There's all kinds of bracketologists out there. Usually by Selection Sunday, you've got about 125 uh, different people that are doing this. Not a huge amount, but considering where it was about 10 years ago with about 30 people, it, it's really kind of grown. Everybody thinking they can beat everybody. Uh, it, to me, it's a fun competition. Uh, I, I don't care how accurate I am. I want to test myself against the committee, um, but I just I just love college hoops. So how how often do you get frustrated with the committee, or are there times where where you feel your your bracket is better than the the committee's, or are you? I guess a better question here would be. Are you trying to predict what the committee is going to do or what you think would be right to do? I'm trying to predict what I think the committee will do, and most years they're wrong, I'm right. Um, no, they, they they do a really good job. They've got such a tough job because they know as soon as the bracket is published on CBS that everybody's going to start yelling at them about what they did wrong. Uh, every year there's there's questionable picks, questionable teams that get in, but for the most part, especially in the time constraints that they have, and, and everything's real time, you know, uh, that uh, selection Sunday, they have to have their bracket, the bracket completely done a half an hour before the show, and not all the games are always done by then. I know they could have uh, a second bracket just in case they need it, but you know they know going in that they're going to get all kinds of hate mail because hey my team didn't make it or my team should have been seated higher or how can you pick that team? Uh, there's always a couple of questionable calls, but I think they do a good job. Uh, I, I try to see if I can match up to what they do, and I've been somewhat successful over the years. Big Twelve used to play their championship game on Sunday. They've moved to, to Saturday night. I believe the ACC has maybe done the same thing, or Big East. One of those conferences has also done the same thing. Do you think both there should be any game? Both of them have. Yes, they have. Do you think there should be? Do you think there should be any any games played on Selection Sunday? 
If they play them on Selection Sunday, do them as if they were the early game on a Saturday or Sunday. You start them at 11 o'clock Central or 12 Central even. That way, if the game does go to overtime, that there's still time for the committee to finish up, put the finishing touches on things, and, and there's some time. Because it is – I know that day I've got – I will usually have five to eight radio interviews, which is fine. I like doing that and talking about it. But I've also got a lot of work to do. I've got deadlines for USA Today and other places. And it's just packing everything into a very, very tight window the way it is now. I think the Big Ten is the biggest culprit because they don't start their their, uh, championship game until uh, about two and a half hours before the bracket is released. And that really is putting things in a pinch. Uh, I would would like it very much if all all the tournaments ended up on Saturday or if not, they end early Sunday. The committee this year is supposedly going to be using more more metrics out there. Uh, just they'll still use RPI, um, but it's everyone seems to think that's becoming a little bit of a little bit outdated. Um, so they're they're talking with uh, bringing in some of the Ken Pomeroy rankings and uh, Massey ratings and things like that. Does that influence your projections? This year, how much of that are you including, and is this a good move for the committee? I, I don't necessarily think it's a bad move, but how much of each one of those uh, entities are you going to use? Is there going to be a set amount, a, you know, put 10% stock in Sagan, 20% in Ken Palm, etc.? I, I don't know if there is a right or wrong answer to that. I do agree that the, the RPI is a little antiquated, but that's what they use, so that's what I use. It is the last couple of years they've shown that they stick to that pretty good. Uh, just because a team is ranked, say, 25 in the RPI, they're not going to look at it and say, okay, they're the 25th best RPI team. They, put, they factor in the road wins against good teams, road, or any win period against a top 25 or a top 50 team, bad losses. And the one thing about the RPI, which I like, it's – a results-based metric. It is based strictly on wins and losses and where those games took place. Uh, Ken Palm, is, it's neat if you want, if you're coming down to two teams for the last spot in the tournament, and, and then you can use the metrics and all that to determine who you think would win that game and who you think is the better team. But as far as doing the entire bracket, uh, I, I don't. I'm not a fan of saying that how a team plays offensively or defensively should factor in to whether they're good enough to be in the tournament. I think the results are what matter, and I, I think that's what the committee will believe. Um, I, I know the RPI is old, but I, I don't know of a better system out there that is purely results based. To bring that up partially because Iowa State. Uh, is one of those teams that there's some discrepancy there between what the metrics would say as to the quality of team that they are and maybe what their record and RPI has shown. They've had several close losses. Um, so it's left a record that <clears throat> to the naked eye at 11-6 and six does not look all that great, 3-3 three and three in the Big 12. Um, I believe right now real-time RPI has them at 50th in the RPI that that should go up as they just play some more of these Big 12 teams. But when you look at some of the other matrix uh, or metrics, sorry, of uh, Ken Pomeroy and things like that, they're 
for the most part, a consensus top 25 type of team. So I guess the million-dollar question at this point is where do you have Iowa State and uh, what do they need to do to improve their stock? Well, for me right now, I've got them on the outside looking in. But you could easily switch them with a team that I have on the 10 line. There are so many teams that are bunched together from about the seven seed line to about eight or nine teams out that you could flip-flop any of them and probably still be okay. Uh, I like Iowa State's team. I think they have a good team. But they, you look at their non-conference schedule, they basically played three teams that are in the top 100 in the RPI. The committee wants these teams to schedule more games against these teams that are projected to be in the top 100. Challenge yourself more. Of those three games that they played, uh, University of Miami is the only one that they've won. And for me, Miami is on the outside looking in right now. Uh, they had a very close game against Gonzaga and Cincinnati, and those are those are good. That'll that'll play favorably. Those are not bad losses. But you know, get that get an extra basket. Maybe you got to win there, and you're not having to worry so much. Uh, there, there is opportunity left. They've got two against West Virginia, TCU has been surprisingly good this year. Uh, they've already lost to them once, but they got a home game. Uh, the next game's against Oklahoma at Oklahoma, a team that a lot of people figured would be in the tournament probably, and they it's kind of a rebuilding year for them. So they're not as good as they possibly were supposed to be, uh, but it would be good to get a road win against that team this weekend. Um Kansas State is a, that's who they got next, and that's a team, another team that's a good team that ranked, but they have zero wins against any team in the top 100 of the RPI. So as far as I'm concerned right now, they are out of the tournament until they get a marquee win. So that's that's kind of the discussion around Ames and the Cyclone community is how important that marquee win, and I guess maybe a a better discussion is to you what, what defines a marquee win because I can I can see the Cyclones picking up a couple more maybe nice wins like a Kansas State or something like that throughout the year. Um but I guess the worry out there is if they if they don't get at least one game from a, a Kansas Baylor or West Virginia, they might still be on the outside looking in come March. So I guess what's your definition of a marquee win and how important is it for a resume? I think it is very important. The committee kind of stresses those every year. They want to see those marquee wins um, to prove that you, you're a good team because if you if you don't have one of those marquee wins and you have opportunities and you haven't been successful in any of them, then they may look at you and think, well, they, you know, they had their chances and they just didn't do it. Um, they've got home games against West Virginia and Baylor coming up uh, to finish the year. Those are two big ones. They need to win those home games. They had the shot against Kansas. It's not a bad loss. Kansas is a very, very good team year in and year out. Uh, the fact that they played them close, that will help. Had they got the win, they would have moved in for me, and I think anybody who has them out right now would have moved them in. I think that I, I, my gut says that Iowa State will be in the tournament when it comes to March. I do my uh, brackets based on results as of now. I'm not uh, prognosticating future games, but I think Iowa State is a good enough team where they will they will be in. Don't ask me to put my life on that, though. 
That was you actually answered my my next question. My next question was going to be whether your whether your predictions were based on what they've accomplished thus far or whether you predicted. You kind of answered that. <clears throat> I guess my to expand on that a little bit um, would be if you had to predict would would a nine and nine record in the Big Twelve not obviously we don't know who those wins are against but. Uh, conservatively, let's say a nine and nine without without a win over one of those top three teams. So a bunch of wins over your Kansas State, another Oklahoma State, uh, TCU at home. Is that is that enough to to get them in comfortably, or are they going to be sweating it out on on Sunday if they if they don't get one of those? Well, a lot of that's going to depend on other teams around the country too. Uh, uh, for me so far this year, I've had a really hard time justifying some of the teams that I put in right now. There, there's Ever since the committee expanded this to 68, I know it's only four more teams, but it's been diluted so much. Um, I think if this was a 64-team bracket, that I don't think we, we'd have a hard time filling it out even at that uh, number. So there is a lot of mediocrity out there. I think Iowa State needs to root against teams like Georgia, uh, Tennessee, VCU, Dayton, teams like that that are in that bubble range. Anybody in my bracket that's seeded about seven or eight on down to the 12 line, root against those teams, get your home wins, try to pull off one or two on the road, and things will probably take care of themselves after that. But, again, it's not – they're in a position where they can't, they don't control their own destiny. They have to help need it, get help from other teams. Do you think it's more important for the committee to get that 68 team, right? uh, Compared to the 69th team or to get the seating process, right? Because I know there's frustrations after, after every selection Sunday between both the seating and then maybe the, the most most of the focus is on uh, who got left out versus who got you know put in. Whereas I I don't know if any of those teams have a realistic shot of winning at all. So to you, what's the what's the most important part of the selection committee's process? I think for me at least uh, is getting the right teams in the tournament. Uh, last year I thought there were three teams or two for sure that got in that I didn't think had any business getting in. One of them was Tulsa, and that's not a knock on Tulsa, but they had lost their last couple of games of the season to bad teams by over 20 points. And then Syracuse, who ended up making a Final Four run, so they're, you know, hey, once you get in, anything can happen. But I didn't think that uh, the way they had played down the stretch, they just looked like a team that was done. They just didn't want to be there anymore. But they got in. Um, I'm still sore about Monmouth not getting in because they did what the committee wants. They challenged themselves, went on the road against these top-name teams, and they kind of got penalized. They had a couple of bad losses, sure, but they beat teams like Georgetown and UCLA, who on paper, hey, that's big wins, but just so happened that last year those teams weren't that good, so their RPI numbers were down. Um had Monmouth got in, would they have won? I don't know. But I thought they did what the committee wanted by scheduling tough. And once you get in the tournament, anything can happen. So I think getting the teams in the tournament correctly is more important than where they're seated. 
I have my own my own thoughts on this next question, but to you, who who out there in all of college basketball has the uh, the weirdest resume? Uh, one that a lot of people really like right now, which I think they're a pretty good team, but if you get down to the numbers and look at their resume, it's not all that great. Uh, Wisconsin. They're fourteen and three overall. They're you know, ten and zero at home, which is nice, but they have zero wins against top fifty opponents. They've played three teams in the top fifty and lost them all. That's one of those where they, you know their ranking, which the, the AP and coaches poll do not factor into bracketing at all. I've had that argument many times over the years, but that's for the fans. That's for the media, and it's talking points for radio shows and stuff like that. But the committee. The the AP rankings, they don't come up in discussions at all. If they do, it's very, very minor. But Wisconsin is ranked pretty high. They're in the top 25, but they don't have any good wins on their resume that make you jump up and down and say, yeah, that's a team to watch out for. Um, they lost to Creighton, they lost to North Carolina, and they lost to Purdue. They're only games against top 50 opponents. Uh, North Carolina and Creighton are very, very good teams. Purdue... They're probably pretty good, but there's another team that their numbers aren't that great. Uh, so keep an eye on Wisconsin. They may end up, you know, being ranked number ten in the final AP poll, but end up being about a six or seven seed, which doesn't really match up there. But just because their resume isn't as impressive. Kind of on the other end of that, another Big Ten team uh, has a little bit of a Jekyll and Hyde type of resume. Is Indiana twelve and six? Yeah. They've got two two of the best wins in the nation with uh, wins over Kansas and North Carolina. They're the only team to beat Kansas so far this year. But then you look and they've got uh, a strength of schedule that's not great. They've got a loss against Fort Wayne, uh, a loss at home to Nebraska, which Nebraska looks like they're improving a little bit. Um, but how does how is the committee gonna gonna accurately place Indiana? Or at this point. Is it even is it even possible to accurately place a team that has so much potential, but also the the floor is so low? It, it appears at times. Yeah, I, I, early on in the season, after especially after the Kansas North Carolina, I think I even had them up to the one line, uh, maybe not that high, but I know I had them as a two seed at one point. And then it was like, nope, they're they're not doing it. They're not doing it. I I still think as long as they finish about two or three games above five hundred that the Kansas and North Carolina wins will carry them into the tournament and putting them at about a 10 or 11 seed maybe, and that's a team you don't want to play because the potential is there for a big win. Can they get there? I don't know. I don't, this is a Jekyll and Hyde team. Um, you just don't know what you're going to get. You think they're, they're turning the corner and then have another loss. That Nebraska loss was tough. I think Nebraska is – they're a good team. Are they good enough to get in? I don't know yet. I have them in, but they're my last team in. Their record is average, but they have some good wins. Um, Indiana needs to hope that they continue to get better to improve. That that's a that's a good loss for Indiana if Nebraska ends up ranked in the top thirty or so of their RPI. If Nebraska falls apart, that's going to look like a bad loss. So at that point, I'm kind of thinking of Iowa Iowa State schedule. They would. <clears throat> If you're if you're Iowa State, you've got you've got another team like uh, Miami and maybe Oklahoma State that are two of their two of their better wins this year, but they also might be competing against them for spots. So 
at what point do you yep. weigh rooting for them to to win and improve your RPI versus you're competing with with those spots? If you get a marquee win, top twenty five RPI win, uh, then you can you can root against them. I think if you don't, then you root for them to end up doing pretty good as long as you don't lose to them. You know they. You mentioned one Big 12 team there. Don't lose to them, and it's okay. But if it's a team outside your conference, you want them to do well, so it makes your win against them look better. The the year started off, and a lot of people kind of talked about Big 12 possibly getting eight teams out of ten in the conference. I don't think anyone thought that Texas and maybe even Oklahoma would be teams that would be left out. But at this point, how many teams do you think is, is a realistic number for the Big 12 to expect to get in? I think a realistic number is six. I think that's probably tied. There's an opportunity for seven. I've got them at four right now. I think that you know, with Kansas State, Iowa State, and Texas Tech, those three I have on the outside looking in, they all have chances to move up. TCU is a bubble team, but they look pretty good so far, much better than expected this year. Uh, unless they just fall apart, I think they've got a real good shot. Baylor, Kansas, West Virginia, they should all be protected seeds, meaning top four seeds in whatever region they end up in. Uh, so I, I would say four minimum, seven maximum, probably six. Shelby, this, this has been a lot of fun tonight. I don't want to take up too much of your time. And uh, I'm wondering if maybe after Iowa State plays a couple more games, we can we can check back in with you. Absolutely. Great, and there's some there's some other things I, I kind of want to pick your brain about too with uh, the construction of the bracket. So uh, we'll we'll check in with you here um, in a couple games, two or three games. See, uh, hopefully, some cyclone wins, and we can we can talk about maybe where you're seeding Iowa State compared to the, the alternative of whether or not they're going to get in. So uh, you take for it the, easy, and uh, we'll be we'll be in touch. Sounds good. And for the record, I don't see the NIT team, so. We'd prefer to be talking about seeding in the big tournament. <laughs> Absolutely, or even or even CBI. So yeah, uh, exactly. Yeah, I don't go down that far either. <laughs> but if you find someone, we'll uh, we'll refer them over to uh, our Hawkeye Hawkeye friends over there because they they could use some NIT, NIT bracketology and CBI bracketology. I actually had somebody this week harassing me for not having Iowa in the bracket, and I'm just they're not there. So. <laughs> What what was your response to that? Hey, I, I said, he said, I can't believe you don't have Iowa yet. Why aren't why don't you have them in? I just said no. That was it. I didn't want to get an argument about it. Look at their resume. So I, I got another question then for you. So since we're on that one on that topic, before we wrap up, how much uh, how much has, has Twitter maybe? Uh, altered your job as a bracketologist obviously it's it's great for promotion but how much how many hate tweets do you get a day or a week based on your bracket well let me put it this way i uh it's not too bad early in the year usually after the super bowls when it picks up but i have changed my little synopsis on my profile to read head idiot at (laughs) bracketwag.com that's the name i get called the most good (laughs) <laughs> well, we'll we'll refer to you a, a much much nicer nicer term here going forward. We'll get a nickname or something for you, but uh, we appreciate the time tonight, and uh, we'll be in touch in the future. 
Sounds good. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. That was Shelby Mass from the he's a resident USA Today uh, bracketologist. We're going to try and have him come back on a couple more times here before we get to Selection Sunday. We'll hope that Iowa State uh, starts to improve their resume a little bit. I know a lot of you out there are concerned that Iowa State could possibly miss the tournament for the first time in six years. Um, in my opinion, I think that RPI will continue to go up as we play more and more Big 12 teams. Uh, keep in mind at this point last year, Iowa State was 2-3 and three, uh, in the Big 12. They were Ken Palm number 24. Today, they're 3-3 three and three in the Big 12, Ken Palm number 20, 23. Uh, so at the same point, they're they're very similar to where they were last year. Uh, we've had a couple of tough losses soon, but uh, I think that uh, that basketball starts to to go in the hoop a little bit more often at the end of games. And uh, let's just roll with it. It's been a fun ride, and uh, we look forward to possibly seeing them in the tournament uh, for six straight years. So at this point, uh, this is Austin. I'm going to sign off. Uh, it's been fun. Thanks to Jake McDonough for the intro and outro music. Don't forget to subscribe on iTunes.